If the Bible's got you tied in knots If you're burdened with religious thoughts Come grab a drink and join the choir It's Heretic Hey, everybody. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barrett. Uh, welcome, everybody, uh, to our second ever live Heretic Happy Hour podcast recording. So give yourselves a hand. All right. All right. So um, my name is Keith Giles. I'm the author of uh, Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics, to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. I am joined by my good friends and co-hosts, Jamal and Matthew. So you guys introduce yourself and say hi. Hi, my name's Jamal Javanji, and I'm the author of Free to Love, published with Choir. It's uh, really good to be a part of our second ever historic, this is a historic and monumental night because this is the first time we've, or the second time we've actually ever had this event. It's so, the first time we've it's the first ever, time we've ever had the second time. It's the first time we've ever done it for the second <laughs> for time. For the second time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Hey, and there's Michelle. Come hey, on in. Michelle hey, Collins. All right. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I'm Matt DiStefano, um, author of a new book coming out, and uh, it's called Heretic, and that wasn't actually planned. I came up with that title before we had this podcast, but it actually sure. works, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and my friend Michelle Collins wrote the foreword, and so I want to give a big shout out yeah. to her. And uh, we just finished the final edits, and it's going to be going out to printing what very soon. And uh, we're going to release it on April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. And Easter. And Easter. And the release of my book. So it's it's monumental. It is monumental. I gotta say. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And um, just so excited to be here. And as always, we're um, we're, we're sponsored by the unfundamentalist uh, unfundamentalist blog. And I don't have it in front of me, but I'll see if I can get it. They are a group blog dedicated to opposing the power mongering, fear inflaming you know it nonsense that is inherent in economic political. Religious fundamentalism, That's something awesome. like that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And you can find them how? Forward slash. Um, yeah. <laughs> unfundamentalists.com or facebook.com forward slash unfundamentalists. Oh, there it is. Right there. Yeah. Okay. And um, let me look. Uh, we're, we have these notes printed out because it's like different because yeah. when we're recording this, normally we don't have these notes. So I'm just going to read the notes here. And it says that we have. Hang on. We have a hotline. What? Uh, yeah, apparently we do have a hotline. It's uh, The number is 240. Okay, you guys get this? Okay. Three heresy. Three heresy, or 240-343-7379. So we do have a hotline. It's very important. And uh, we have a... Uh, we, didn't have to, we don't have to queue up a text tonight because the text has actually been printed for us here on this page, so... Technology is averted tonight. We have it right here in front of us. So here's the text that came in. There is a text, an international text that came in. How's that? We have international listeners. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Wow. So from the nation of Canada. And uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a listener by the... Okay, I'll just read it. Quote, my name is Abe Peters, and I would like to hear your understanding of what or slash whom you touched on in the Heretic Happy Hour, episode 12, the accuser or Lucifer, the devil. Ooh. Is he a real being or more like a glove that is activated by our hand? Or is he more than that? Like maybe we can become that glove or his person slash personification. Personification. Yeah. Or yeah, or his personification. Okay. Does That's a great question. question. Yeah. What do you guys think? We're all looking at you, Matt. You're all looking at me. Oh, God. Because um, didn't you do a song about this? Oh yeah, I did Actually, a song about a song. the devil. I don't even remember it, but our, Satan is real. <laughs> Satan is real. Yeah, that, should, that was hilarious. Um, well, the, yes, Satan is real, and I think anytime, what I mean is, anytime we're accusatory, then we're acting satanic. Um, I don't think we need a Hollywood mythology. We're in Southern California, so just up the road, we don't need that version of Satan. Because I, I think that cheapens the real power behind the satanic mechanism, which is the spirit of accusation. Um, the book of Job is a really good place. And I know there's this character in the first two chapters called Satan. But at that time, like, Satan worked for God. Like, that's, 
he was a part of the divine council. He was like in the Godfather, the consigliere. Like he, he's the one going around saying, "You fucked up. You fucked up. You guys are all." Hey, hey. I, I, I apologize. Uh, I did it in front of my own daughter. I, yeah, that's I true. You did. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think the real, the real truth behind that that book is that in the in chapters three through thirty seven, like. Satan's not there. The human community is. And the human community builds and builds and builds and eventually goes from like, hey, we're here to we're here to be with you, Job. We're here to help you out and give you advice. And then it's like, oh, Job is withholding stuff from widows and orphans. And it turns into this momentum of this spirit that's greater than the sum of its parts. Like it's like when we all get around against another, that is like satan to the you know that is the, the i think the spirit of satan so i i haven't heard the glove analogy but i that's a good analogy i actually. like it i like it i think i like that mm-hmm. yeah what do you guys think okay. awesome uh i was i was just reminded that we have upcoming an episode on the satan oh so let's not give too much away yeah yeah we are we are planning to do an entire podcast uh and that will be our topic so just yeah. a little teaser there yeah yeah little, little. i want to say this because uh, we were you know uh uh, Matt has a, a new book coming out called Heretic, and in the book there is something. There's a quote in there I, that I got to choose. Yeah, you like that? That was the tiebreaker here. But in this quote, it talks about like whether you believe Satan is an actual being, like a fallen angel or mythological creature, or whatever you want, or whether you think it's a an, an analogy for something deeper, maybe maybe our own essence or whatever, or fallen essence that whatever. It does it doesn't really matter. I think people get caught up in the debate about what is Satan, but there Satan is a function. Like the, the term Satan means accuser, accuser um, of people. And so it, you can get caught up in the debate of what is Satan or who is Satan and miss the actual point. The point is accusation. Right. So if you disregard the language of accusation, which the world is full of, people accusing each other, blaming each other, scapegoating each other. If you just skip over this, this entire thing of accusation, then Satan becomes irrelevant. Like right. if you just refuse to speak that language, doesn't matter what Satan right. is. And that's Karl Barth's point, the, the German theologian. Satan's only mentioned in the New Testament to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what, what we think of, of, about terms of metaphysics and ontology and all these big fancy words of what is Satan in its substance, it's only, the Satan's only there so that it could be dismissed right. and, and conquered. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's Bart, and I love Bart. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Jesus made the statement. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Mm-hmm. So where is this being that has some authority? Mm-hmm. It's all in the mind. It's an illusion. Yeah. yeah, and he says he saw Satan fall like lightning yeah. as the disciples came back with the testimonies of the when they went out preaching and healing the sick and, and preaching the gospel and the kingdom was coming. Uh, and his response to that was the power basically of Satan is gone. It's, it's lost. He's lost all power and authority. Yeah. So yeah, Jesus tells us his kingdom has come. He's the king now. He's the Lord. And we don't need to worry about that. My my concern about this is that I, I, I know I know this guy Abe Peters, by the way, who who gave us this question. I know this is not his where he's coming from, but it is. And you guys have probably noticed this. It's a little disturbing to me how many Christians are way more fixated on Satan and demons and spiritual warfare. It's like they're way they're giving way more power and attention to Satan and demons yeah. than they are to Jesus right. and his kingdom. And so, like, I think it's a I would just caution people when they get too wrapped up in all that stuff. It's exciting and interesting and cool, maybe, but it's kind of the wrong thing we should be having our minds on. But yeah, I agree. Hey, and I, by the way, I forgot. It's my fault. I'm gonna I'm gonna own it. I forgot to make another announcement at the beginning. So can I can I do that real quick? Please. Okay. So we also need to thank our host this evening, uh, Brian and Andrea oh, Johnson. Yeah. Thank you. I, I've already told them that if they ever go out of town and they need someone to house it, I am completely available at any time. I'd love to house it for you. It also means you guys are complicit in this heresy. Oh, yeah. Just That's saying. True. Yeah, you're, you're part of it now. Wait a minute. We're about you're to get kicked out. We just, we just said your names right here on the podcast. <coughs> no, cut. We don't put that in the interview. <laughs> Please edit that. And then, uh, and then also we need to thank, uh, he's not here tonight, but um, our friend Jason from Sidecar Donuts. Um, he also treated us this morning to some free donuts and coffee at Sidecar Donuts, the best donuts ever. And there's three dozen donuts up there on the table from Sidecar. So thank you to Sidecar Donuts also for sponsoring. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. All right. Keith, 
Hey. So since you did so well with the Heretic of the Week last live show, do you mind doing did that I? again? Okay. With a voice in the... Oh, yeah. It's the Heretic of the Week. Okay. Bravo. <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much. Um, I'm here all night. So uh, the, our Heretic of the Week, by the way, is someone that we just, <clears throat> we just decided who that was going to be about an hour ago as we were eating at In-N-Out. Yeah. We were sitting there eating it in and out. And we're real prepared on this show. Totally prepared. <laughs> and then uh, as we're eating, you know, in and out, uh, we get a text from Ralph and he says, who's the heretic of the week? I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like, so, uh, but one, the one that makes the most sense uh, for our topic this evening is a guy named John Nelson Darby. Raise your hand if you know who John Darby is. Okay. One, two. Okay. Three, four. All right. There you go. Um, so let me tell you about this guy. Darby, we have we have uh, we can thank him for a few things. So uh, John Nelson Darby thank was born in air quotes. Yeah, air, thank him, <laughs> quote unquote. Yes, uh, John Nelson Darby was born in uh, November eighteenth of eighteen hundred, and he was an Anglo Irish Bible teacher, um, very influential among the Plymouth Brethren uh, at the time, and he's considered to be the father of what's called modern dispensationalism or Futurism. So a lot of what we uh, in America have grown up understanding, and again, this topic this evening, we're going to be touching on some of this. But um, most of us were never told that what we were, what we believed was dispensationalism. We were just told that the Bible says uh, things like, "Well, there are certain things that need to happen in Israel in the Middle East first, and then once you know this uh, beast shows up, and then he, you know, he forces, I mean, the, the, he forces everyone, the Antichrist forces everyone to take the mark of the beast on their hand or their forehead. No one can buy or sell. But first, he makes a peace treaty with Israel, but then he breaks that, and then there's a massive war, and then you know all this bloodshed has to happen, and then like there's these." freaky creatures with like the face of a woman and the body of a horse and the tail of a scorpion. They're going to come flying out and sting everybody. Oh, it's going to be so amazing. And um, it's this <laughs> Did crazy... Did you say face of a woman? Yes. It's like a face of a That's woman, weird. the body of a horse, and the tail of a scorpion. Anyway, it's this it's this crazy, fantastic Hollywood blockbuster film directed by Michael Bay. It's so crazy. <laughs> um, but all of that stuff, and you know, you've heard that, right? I'm not the only one who's heard this, right? So all this stuff that I grew up hearing, and you probably grew up hearing in your in your church about... What needs to happen before Jesus can return? Or what, need, what the signs we're looking for before Jesus comes back? All of this gets traced back to this guy, Darby, who really um, championed this idea in 1830 uh, that was called dispensationalism and has a very futurist view of passages like Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, or like uh, when Jesus talks about the, the Olivet Discourse, when Jesus talks about Matthew 24, for example, about the signs of the end. Uh, and so anyway, we're going to get into the depth of that, but, um, it all kind of traces back to Darby. So the, here's how it kind of got woven into American Christianity. He really didn't find a lot of fans for this theory when he lived in England. In fact, a lot of them called him a heretic, uh, cause it was like, what are you talking about? Imagine, by the way, think of this for a second for 1830 years, no Christian thought like this. And then Darby starts talking about it and they're going, what's what are you smoking, man? What's, what's up with you? Where'd you get this? Right? Get out of here. So he doesn't get a lot of fans in England, but when he comes to America and he starts sharing this, he does find people who are excited about it in America. And some of these people who are excited about it um, write a Schofield study Bible, which you might have heard of, that ends up putting notes like Darby's ideas in the, in the margins on the bottom of the study Bible. And then some of these same people also start seminaries like Dallas Theological Seminary and Biola, which is right up the road. Did you say Biola? Yes, Biola. Did you say Dallas Theological Seminary? Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, many other, uh, really the dominant uh, Protestant seminaries in America are dispensational uh, seminaries. So that's why most of us have heard this, because most of our pastors were trained this way and told these kind of things. And we're, by the way, not really told that there was another way to think of those uh, apocalyptic passages in Revelation. So what we're going to talk about tonight is really... Um, the, all the stuff that most of us have never heard about this topic. We, we're all familiar with all the other crazy stuff, right? So we're going to talk tonight about the stuff we don't know about, about Darby. Do you guys want to add anything about Darby? Or? That was well said. Yeah, I think you, I think you nailed it. What, what I found um, when you were saying all that, <clears throat> like I never heard the name John Nelson Darby. I grew up in a Christian Missionary Alliance church, and before that, a very similar type of um, strain of evangelicalism, uh, pre-tribulation rapture. So, you know, 
We're going to blast up. We, if we're good, like, I think I mentioned the last podcast, I always thought, no, I'm not making it because I'm kind of a shithead, you know? Uh, There you go. There you go. (laughs) But we, Christians, are going to blast off and then everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket. I never As if it hasn't. As if, well, yeah, I mean, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) But... I never heard the name John Nelson Darby. I thought that was so interesting. Once I learned who that was, and I was like, oh, it was 1830. I think it was you, Keith, who who pointed out that the same year Mormonism yes. came about. That's is how the new same. It is. Yeah, that's so the stuff that we're taught is almost synonymous with the gospel, is developed at the same time Mormonism is yeah. developed. Like I never heard that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if my pastors my pastors Certainly must have known John Nelson Darby if they went to Dallas Theological Seminary or other seminaries like that. They must have heard of this this mm-hmm. fellow. But it was never then disseminated to the masses. We're just like, oh, yeah, that's the Bible. It says it right there. I mean, but who is this guy? Like, we never knew anything about him. <laughs> right. Like, I didn't know about it until I already rejected the rapture, you know, which is what we're going to be talking about. And and if you haven't, if you affirm the rapture, fine, That's that's cool. Like... We can still drink and hang out and have something to eat, you know. But for me, it was just like, okay, I got to get rid of this because it scared the living daylights out of me, for one. Yes. And for two, like, I don't know, 1,800 years? Mm-hmm. No one got it right for 1,800 years, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we got eschatology now. It's figured <laughs> out. It's like, why didn't you tell us that? Because yeah. it, it's kind of a damning thing, like... Uh, we we can't say, oh, this is the gospel, this is how we're going to interpret it, and by the way, no one got it right for 1,800 years, because mm-hmm. obviously red flags should start shooting up. That's like exactly that. right. Yeah. So that I just thought that was interesting as you were saying that. I was like, yeah, I was never, I never heard the name John Nelson Darby. Mm. Never. Not once. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it is really interesting, and yeah, and then I'm the same way. I um, I think I was listening to some guy on the radio who was one of the few people who was kind of giving another, like another version, not the futurist version, of how to read and understand those scriptures. And it was just like, oh, yeah. And then actually that makes way more sense. It's way more practical and normal. And it's not like this crazy out there, uh, you know, theory. And yeah, it actually makes a lot more sense to me anyway. So, right. so anyway, I mean, why, why is it crazy though? I mean. So we get into the topic? Yeah, let's get into it. All right. Like, so. I think it's crazy because. You shouldn't be able to make hundreds of millions of dollars on writing books about this stuff. And you and I were talking about it, Keith, a, a couple months ago. Somebody objects. Like, life as a Christian, in how I see it, is not Hollywood blockbuster-ish. Like, it's kind of boring. Loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you. It doesn't make for a great movie. But this shit in the, in the book of Revelation... <laughs> like where there's beasts and, and we got to find out, is it Obama? Is oh, it yeah, the yeah. Pope? Yeah. Is, is it, it Oprah? That makes for a great movie. Oh, it does. Mm-hmm. It's like you've got epic wars and the armies of everyone. Mm-hmm. Like all of humanity is in mm-hmm. this one big war. I don't think it's Oprah. I don't think it is either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's not Obama because he kind of failed, I guess, at, at doing yeah. his antichrist he let, him, he let him down, yeah. <laughs> but... It makes for a great film. And then you're just like, oh my gosh, how how many copies of Left Behind have been sold? Oh, like yeah, probably 20 million, 30 million, millions. 60 million. I don't know what it is, but yes. it's it's a lot of tens of millions. Yes. And how much money on royalties and the and the movies. There was movies and DVDs and yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. And it's just comic like, books, there was even a comic book series. Yeah. It's crazy. I think it's just a red flag for me if you're making that much money. Like the gospel is supposed to be scandalous. And I always hear like, oh, Matt, you got this theology that's tickling the ears of people. I'm like, no one likes what I'm saying. You're telling people what they want to hear. Like you're supposed to turn the other cheek and, you know. Yeah, we we all want to be like, oh, you just punched me in the face and I'm supposed to forgive you. That's easy. Mm -hmm." Yeah, people love that. And then I'm like, you believe in a, and I'm not trying to make fun of it. It's just, for me, it's like, it, it has this repulsion because I was, like I said, I was scared shitless <laughs> and let's talk about that like Let, the, the the psychological the emotional um you know what it does to young people what it does to just christians in general when you think your parents if they're late or you don't know where they are and you think they might have got raptured and you didn't <laughs> yes 
And you're seven years old? Oh, yeah. Like, if I've done anything right as a parent, it's not teaching my daughter that because she knows if daddy's late, daddy's late. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, just... it's all good. He probably smoked too much pot, forgot what time it was. <laughs> but if I thought my parents were not, like, oh, my, I know they were raptured. Yeah, like, I did the same thing. A pile of clothes is going to be there. My mother's yeah. necklace is going to be on the floor. Yeah. Oh, shh. I didn't make it. What did I yeah. do? Did I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? What did I what? Yeah, yeah. And that, that is just, that is terrible. That tickles the ears, though. Mm -hmm. Because if you think, if you think, oh, any day Jesus is just going to come back and, well, okay, great. Yeah. Like, and you get raptured out of here. You don't have to deal with the problems. You don't have to deal with it. It's like that to me. If it sells, if it sells 20 million copies, that seems to be a little bit. You know, yeah. You know, well, the, what the, people want to hear. Yeah, I had the exact same experience as a young man, where I would, um, I'd wake up. I'm an only child, and I would wake up in the middle of the night in terror, and I would listen. It would be so quiet, and I would have this fear, like, are my were my parents raptured? Am I left behind? And I would literally, I'd go down the hallway, and I would listen until I heard, like, you know, my dad snore, or they roll over, and the bed would squeak, or something like, oh, <laughs> okay, they're still in there. And then I can go, then I could sleep, but I could not go to sleep. I would stand in the hallway until I heard something. They let me know they were still there because I was afraid that I'd been left behind, you know? And, and part of what fed into that for me was I, uh, there were these horrible, I'm, I'm an old man, so there were these horrible, before Left Behind, uh, there was these this horrible, horrible, you can see them on YouTube, they're hilarious, but they're really bad quality. I mean, Thief really bad night. quality. It's called Thief in the Night. Mm. And there's like a five or six part series, you know what I'm talking about? Um, Thief in the Night. And that, Thief in the Night was the first one, and that was the good one, okay? <laughs> and then they got progressively lower quality, horrible as it went along. But I can remember sitting in youth group, you know, and that we watched this thing, and, and we're all sitting there just terrified out of our minds that this could happen to us. And not only that it could, we were told by our youth pastor, this is probably going to happen in our life. It has to because happen. Because it's always imminent. It's not yeah. like, well, it's that's we're, we're like a hundred years from now. No, it's like, oh, this could happen tomorrow. This could happen like next week. You better be ready, man. This could happen. And so it just, it, you, it, you start living with this constant dread and this constant fear. It's anxiety. Yes, you, yes. It, it's, it's very damaging and it's very dangerous. But it is money-making, right? Because uh, there's a huge, huge... Uh, audience for this, partly because, like you said, it's a great story. It's, it is a great story. This is the problem. We were talking, I think, I think the last uh, live podcast, we were actually also talking about this, just driving in the car, about how, like, the problem with taking away this super cool, awesome story, you know, Michael Bay film story from, it, from people's imaginations, is when I take that away from them, I don't have something equally awesome to replace it with, Right. I can't, whatever I replace it with, it's like he was saying, it's just, well, well if, if I don't have that, well, then what do I have? Well, love God, love your neighbor, uh, you know, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek, you know, like those things, do that, what Jesus told you to do. That's it? Like, man, that's kind of boring. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't have an equally bombastic, crazy, over-the-top, you know, story to tell in place of it. And that's partly why it stays so popular, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is, it does capture our imagination. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I, it's funny because like even this week, we were getting ready for this podcast and lo and behold, a brand new prophecy has just come out just this last week. The Bible says the world is going to end, write this down, June 24th, 2018. We only have a couple of months left, everybody. <laughs> um, so I guess this guy, uh, let me see. So this guy, a conspiracy theorist, they actually call him a conspiracy theorist, his name is Matthew Jean-Marc Joseph Rodrigue, he has too many names, has pointed to the Bible, of course, to support his theory that the world will end June 24, 2018. He points to a passage in the Bible that is supposed to indicate the end of days. The passage reads, he was given authority to act for 42 months. Well, there you go. I don't know why you need any more. Well, what's 42 months before, from June 24th? Well, it says, he said, no, no, listen, he says... He said, maybe. Dun, dun, dun. That seems apocalyptic, doesn't it? Of course. How do we miss this? <laughs> so he said, no, check this out. This is on authority, people. Okay, he says, I heard a voice in the middle of the four living <laughs> beings. This is wisdom. He who has intelligence, so by the way, you're an idiot if you don't agree with him. He who has intelligence can interpret the figure of the beast. It represents, it represents the name of man. His figure is 666. This is all just from scripture. Supposedly, okay, here's his, here's his math. There's always some crazy math involved. Supposedly, by adding the number of crop harvests, <laughs> along, you're off to a great start. Along, add that along with the price hike. I'm not sure what hike, what price, whatever. Um, it should produce the date of the last day on Earth. 
He says in order to find the exact date, he needs to take the number 666 and add it to his previous calculations, which include the 42 months as prescribed by the Bible. I'm so confused. I have no idea. But at any rate, see, this stuff doesn't go away, right? So and listen, I went, I went through my stuff in the garage getting ready for this. And, um, you know, you guys all know, late great Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth. I think he kind of kicked this thing off in the 70s. Uh, and there was a movie, it was a book and a movie. And then he wrote all these follow-up books. Uh, you know, he made a ton of money on this, right? And then, then came The Thief in the Night, these movies. And then Tim LaHaye did the Left Behind series. And these things make money, right? And the thing that drives me crazy is that we keep falling for it, right? How many of these have we, I mean... Even you don't have to be as even as old as I am, right? Just as if you're in your 20s, right? You know you've probably been told at least 10 times in your life that this date is the is the date Jesus returns, or this date is the end of the world, right? Have you seen the Rapture card where if you nine 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 raptures missed, you get a free one? Oh, yeah, like free that. one. I need I need that. I think I need that. So anyway, I, I pulled this out of my That's garage. Funny. This is one of my prized possessions, guys. Uh, it's it's a book, and it's called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. Uh, and I love this book because, come on, man, 88 reasons? I mean, come on, right? This is amazing. And he, he did it 89. And he yeah. did, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so here's the deal. So after, of course, Jesus didn't come back in 1988, the guy who wrote this book learned his lesson and he wrote a follow-up book called 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1989. So, so basically New Year's Eve on 1987 to 88 and 88 to 89 was pretty anxious. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. He, pretty yeah, tense. Pretty tense. And so, so here's the thing is that here's the lesson that he learned. People will keep falling for it over and and they do over and over and over again. And 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 so yes, there's a group of people that just perpetually are they're into this. There, you know, there's all these, there's TV shows. Jack Van Impey has a show on TBN, which is hilarious, by the way. <laughs> Accidentally, it's, so I'm it's, sure. It's not on purpose, but it's hilarious. <laughs> and um, and so like there's a huge audience for this. I personally, this is my first time I, I bumped into this. So on my my previous blog before I jumped to Patheos, I used to blog on uh, Blogspot. And this has been like two years ago. And you guys remember the Blood Moon hoax? John Hagee had a book called The Blood Moon. Uh, what I love about the Blood Moon thing that he did, he was really sharp. Because what, what John Hagee said was he had this book that had all these blood moons throughout history that support sort of proved that all these significant events have happened. And then therefore, there were these four blood moons that were going to happen, um, I think, at Passover. Um, they were going to coincide with Passover over a two-year period. And, and wow, that's so significant, right? And then what he predict, what he says was in the book was he didn't say, he didn't say that Jesus was going to come back. Or he didn't say that the world was going to end. And I'm not kidding you. This is what he said. Something will happen. <laughs> so he can't be wrong. Yeah, you can't. Something Some, will Something happen. did happen, something certainly. Happened. He sold a crap load of books, right? <laughs> so anyway, I wrote, I wrote a blog debunking the whole, this whole stupid thing, right? And I just debunked the whole thing. First of all, I'm not going to do it now, but like one of the most, one of the simplest things to debunk is that the Jewish calendar is on a lunar calendar, so when when all of your Passovers and all of your festivals coincide with the moons and the phases of the moon, it's pretty likely you're going to have an eclipse in there somewhere because it's it's tied to the moon. Anyway, so whatever. I, I did this whole thing. I debunked the whole thing, I, and I just you know I just published my blog. And I and I typically at the time when I was doing the blog a couple of years ago, on a typical blog post, just a regular run of the mill blog post, I'd get a couple of hundred, maybe if, on a good one, maybe three hundred. You know, at the end of the week, I check, I go and check and see how many people. You know, look at the blog. Oh, 200 people, 300 people. Oh, that was good. Um, I published that blog like on a Monday. On Wednesday, I went to check. I had 30,000 hits. 30,000 hits. To this day, it is still my number one blog. On I, I blogged for 10 years on that <laughs> blog. And to this day, it is still the, by far and away, the highest hit. So let me, let me be honest with you. When I saw those numbers, I was like, damn, I, I better be writing more about the end times because holy moly, right? All I did was mention blood moons, end times, ka-ching, right? That's why these guys do this right? because all they've got, and that's why they can keep doing it. Oh, they keep going yeah. to the well because as long as, you know, the average Christian does not read their Bible very much. And if they, even if they do read their Bible, we all kind of, if we're smart, we kind of avoid revelation because it's really very confusing, right? So if a guy shows up and says, look, I, I understand it. 
I have I'm figured out, I have unlocked the yes. key to Revelation. Yes. Let me listen to me, Jamal. Right. <laughs> um, people <gasps> tell me they want to yeah. know because yeah. they don't know. And if this guy acts like he knows what he's saying and he can do some crazy math, add this, divide this by the crops and the blah, blah, blah. And there you go. And it's going to be June 24th. But Jing, there you go. Yes. So, um, yeah, and if, so that's why partly why people keep falling for this. Right? Yeah. And it makes a ton of money. Yeah. So, Jamal, were you raised in this? Yeah, I mean, I was raised in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I come from a Muslim background. Right. Uh, they believe Jesus is going to return. Right. Very, very similar to evangelicals. Right. They're going to. They believe Jesus is going to return. The Mahdi, right? Well, that's part of the Shia okay. branch. So they're the Mahdi is the twelfth Imam. Uh-huh. They believe the Mahdi will come and then pave the way for Jesus. The okay. Sunnis believe in Jesus will just come back and restore order to the earth. Sounds familiar, right? Hmm. And roll with an iron fist, a rod of iron, and we'll kill everybody. That okay. doesn't fall under line to God's law. This is very similar to Christianity. It's exactly the same. <laughs> so I, I, um, I, I was raised in that. Um, my mom's version of Roman Catholicism also had some end time beliefs, like different thing, you know, political aspirations, kind of more of a, a fringe element. But there was a lot of fear based, you know, for me. And then, of course, becoming an evangelical Christian, I was about eighteen, went to a Southern Baptist University. Obviously, I was indoctrinated in the whole pre-tribulational you know, dispensationalist theology of like, Jesus is going to come back, rapture of the church, then there'll be seven years of tribulation, you know, all the horror show. But you know what? I'm really, un- can I just be honest? I just want to be honest. I'm really uninterested in this topic. <laughs> it's as quiet as I've ever heard you in the podcast. Okay. We're 30 minutes in, and I don't think you've said more than like well, two minutes. Well, I thought minutes. it was because okay. I was just talking too much. I'm just, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm really not interested in the return of Jesus. And, th- but the, <laughs> the reason, but I say that for a reason. The reason... Okay, I think there's two branches. I, what I am interested in, however, is the psychology behind it. Because there is psychology. Mm-hmm. Michelle, we're mm-hmm. on the same picture. Mm-hmm. So, like, the psychology behind it is there's two branches of, of, I think when people think about the return of Jesus, they're coming from two different angles. They're coming from either, I'm afraid. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll miss it. I'll be, I'll be, I'll endure a lot of pain and suffering. So there's a fear. I won't be ready. Really, it's a fear of, of not being accepted. It's a fear of rejection. God, who is like our essence, our everything, will not accept me. That's psychological trauma. The, po- the potential to not be accepted by the most important being in the universe. Like that, and, and to hold that out there as, a, as bait, as fear to manipulate people, it's evil. That's one element of it. The other element of it is... There, and this is not often talked about, but there are good, well-meaning, loving Christians who want Jesus to come back. And those are more, you know, I was, you know, I hate to put people in boxes, but if you're going to put a box on it, it's more the charismatic, heartfelt stream of Christianity, which, you know, like longing, like lovesick for Jesus, want Jesus to return, love Jesus, I miss him, I want him to come back. That's a whole different element. I don't mm-hmm. think it's touched on a little bit. And that's that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful aspect. But I'm interested in that that component of of Christianity because I feel like what it does is it shows us a gl- a blind spot that we haven't addressed here. And and this blind spot in all of this is um how far we have been removed from the concept of incarnation. Mm-hmm. So for example, Jesus comes to the earth and Jesus comes to the earth, and he is. We all recognize that this is God incarnate. This is divine. This is a. This is eventually. The, wow. Eventually. <laughs> now, now we. I mean, I mean, we can all affirm that. Like this is this is God with us, Emmanuel, God yeah. with us. And you know, put yourself in the shoes. If you can think back two thousand years ago, you're the followers of Jesus. You fall in love with this man. You're walking with him. You live life with him. He's teaching you. He's he's doing all these things, and then he's taken from you abruptly. What, you're going to miss him. It's, it's, you're going to naturally long for him. It's a very relational concept. We long for him to return, to come back. And it's very natural that the disciples would be like, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? When are you going to restore the kingdom? When is this? Look, we had something special going, and now you're gone. That's just real. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus was clear, though, saying, look, it's, it's, I need to go. It's better if I go. Actually, if I go... You know, you're going to be inhabited, so to speak, paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. You're going to be in, you're going to live in the, in the same way that the, so Jesus made this statement very clearly. He said, you want to know what eternal life's all about? Like 
people think of heaven, the afterlife. But he said, no, this is eternal life. And he used a very present tense way of saying it. The verb he used was, this is eternal life, knowing God, like present, like not future. Yes, knowing him now. Knowing right now. And this is key, the one who he has sent. sent. So this is incarnation. Mm -hmm. Who was sent? Jesus. What is, why is that a big deal? Because we recognize that God is not an abstract concept in the sky somewhere, that God actually has human flesh and dwells among us, and we're able to like interact with divinity in humanity. So that's a beautiful thing. Like That's what eternal life is. Now, what ha the problem is Jesus died, was resurrected, and ascended to heaven, and now he's not here anymore. So we have a problem. Think about it. There's a big problem. Where is God today? Because this is eternal life, knowing God and the one he sent. Christians have been taught to look back 2,000 years and say, okay, that was when God was with us. God's not with us anymore, by the way. That, no one says that, but that's the idea. It's the implication. When Jesus was here, everything, God was with us. God's not with us anymore. But guess what? God's still with us. Yeah, he sent us a book. No. He sent us this great <laughs> Because if great God book. sent us a book, no. No. All right. then we would have to wait five, 400 years or four, the fourth century, whatever, until that was created. <laughs> that wouldn't have been the case. But here's the oh, deal. Okay. God is still with us. And so it's, 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 it's a natural phenomena that we, uh, we get to understand. Like, for example, incarnation is, Jesus was very clear, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we are also sent in the same way. So here's, the, here's where the rubber meets the road and where the rub is. We don't really understand, like, why do you miss Jesus? First of all, we've never met Jesus. And that sounds crazy. We've never met him. Like he's, we, we have not met the human Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago. That guy is not here, has never been here in our lifetime. So we have met Christ, of course, and Christ has many members, many parts, many expressions. So the idea of incarnation was never supposed to stop at Jesus. It was supposed to continue. And he was like, it's better. Guys, it's better. So here's the deal. When we look at Jesus, we go, oh, God is with me. But do here, we don't really have a concept today, I don't believe, a very good understanding of the incarnation just as significant. Now, I know this is getting into territory here, but in just the same way that Jesus was sent to us, we have been sent here too. Yes. We have been, Jesus said it, as the Father has sent me, I have sent you. We are all sent in the same way that Jesus was sent. That means we are all expressions of divinity to one another. And when God is with you in the form of one another in relationship, you stop missing the man you've never met. And there's an, there's, an, there's an idea of this longing. So Christians really, or a lot of people really, are very lovesick. I really believe lovesick in the world. And are longing to get out of here. Mm -hmm. Are longing for a better day. Yeah. Are longing for when this life is not the way it is. Yeah. But our, here's the deal. We get to have the best, our best form of life right now. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. abundantly. And how will now. you know that? You'll know that when you're with God, in the presence of God. That's just what we celebrate heaven. We think heaven is when you're in the presence of God. But guess what? When is heaven? Jesus said, pray this way, that let your kingdom come, that your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven right now. This is eternal life, knowing God and the one he sent. We are sent. We embody mm -hmm. divinity. And when we begin to get a grasp of that, we stop becoming lovesick and we start, we start understanding that we are with God when we are with one another in relationship, dwelling and loving each other, which I think is the whole point. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another in the same way that I have loved you. Mm -hmm. And when those incarnations are sent to you and they're taken away, which did happen for the disciples, Jesus was removed from them and they missed him. And it's a, it's a natural longing. And we will all experience that in this life when you lose the people that you love. It's just natural. And then we will long, and then our life will end, and we'll go be with them. Yeah. It's just how it works. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Can, I, can I say something? I love, I always feel, I always get nervous when I agree with Jamal, but I, <laughs> I find myself agreeing with this man more and more. Um, so I love what you just said, and so I would say, if heaven is where God is, because you said that, heaven is the place where God is. Let me ask you, where's God? Thank you. The problem is exactly what you're saying, Jamal, is that when you ask Christians, where is God, they say, but that's not what he said. Jesus said, if you love me, uh, I will love you, and my Father and I will come, and we will make our home in you. So the answer to the question is, where is, where is God is right here. So where's heaven? 
It's where God is. And where's God? Right here. And I've always thought it's so interesting. Like, if we're the body of Christ, and I'm not sure where I'm at with this whole second coming of Jesus. If we're the body of Christ, are we not the second coming of Jesus? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's what I think. I'm done. No, you know, honestly, I I agree with you. I agree with you. If 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 we say, well, Jesus is going to come, and... And, and I think Christ is going to come, but I'm not sure what that means. It implies that he's not here. Right. Yeah. But it, it's he, implying that but, he's not here. But yeah. he but says are, he is here. But, but he is. Yes. So what are we waiting for? We should Bring, be waiting like for our prayer. If our prayer is thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, like that's not in some other realm. That's yeah. now. Yeah. That's right. Well, and, and how can that happen if we're going to blast off into the sky? How can we say that prayer with any honesty? Yeah, and I think, exactly. And the thing is, in order to really get there, though, to stop, like, looking for Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago to come back again, because clearly, we live, you can spend your whole life longing for this person to come back and never get there. And you miss life, which is a tragedy. People do that all the time. But if you're, if we're going to get there, I honestly, we have to start understanding what Christ is, who Christ is. Again, do I see you as a manifestation Christ in the same way that I see Jesus as a manifest manifestation Christ. So that's the, that's the key. So like, if you see, if you look in the mirror and, and understand who you are in your essence and say, Jamal Christ, Jamal Christ. Yes. If you've seen me, if you've well, seen me, you've seen the father. Yeah. Right. I am the incarnation of, yeah. of God, even as the same way that Jesus. I mean, I was talking about with my, with my girlfriend, Taylor back there, like, Woo-hoo. yeah. I was talking about with her before, like, I've actually longed and missed her more than I've ever missed Jesus. Well, but because I have a real, because we have a real human-to-human flesh relationship in which, like, there's love there. And, like, when that, when you're not there in the presence of that, you, we all understand what that's like. You long and miss that person, and which brings you back into the proximity of that person. I don't think it's different with Jesus and his disciples 2,000 years ago, but I think the point of Jesus is he wants that to, he wants that to continue. So it's not just this human thing. We understand, like, so there's something special about Jesus, and we long because we're in the presence of God with him. But guess what? It's not different with us. When we're, with, when we're interacting in relationship and love with one another, we are interacting with the very presence of God in human flesh. And G- doesn't Jesus say, where, there, where two or more are gathered, there I am? Yeah. Yes. So what are we waiting for? Yeah, exactly. Do we take that? Like, we no, always, we don't. We always, take the the, we always say we, we got to take the Bible literally. Do we? Are you? Because it doesn't seem like we're taking that seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Like, do I really believe that when I'm talking with with? Are, do we really believe Jesus is here? I don't think we. Yeah. Because really do. because it's a, there, there, we. A, I, th- I feel like there's a divorce of of the idea of Christ and Jesus from a relational component. So like, we don't understand this, and in, in, in we understand relating with Jesus or with the Christ or God in a theological com- construct. But you don't have relationship in that manner, I, solely in that manner. You have relationship through actual f- interaction and relationship and, and meeting of people together. So I, I feel like that's why it doesn't, you know, and obviously Jesus, you know, we haven't, we long to have this one-on-one type of interaction with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I, me too. That's great. That's not where I live. I live right here now. Okay. And if I miss the incarnations of God and other people. Right here. That's right. Or in the relationships I have that have been sent to me. Like, do we view relationships as being... That's one of the reasons I wanted to write my book, Free to Love, is like, do we view people as being sent to us in the same way that Jesus was sent? Because if we do, then we will really cherish those relationships yeah. Yeah. in a very special way. So, I, I like all we're saying, but... What 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 are we? Yeah, we're we're forty five minutes in. Where <laughs> jump into where do let, let, where do we get this idea of the rapture from? Like I know it's John Nelson Darby, but there is scriptural backing that he uses to obviously argue for this. Yeah, and so and in fifteen minutes we're not going to hit all. of them. We're not going to hit all of them, but there's yeah. there's some big like First Thessalonians four, right? Yes. That that's a big one where this language of being caught up in the clouds with the Lord and yeah and it's like you read that in your English Bibles and you go see that's rapture yeah. <laughs> but if it doesn't mean that which a lot of us for eighteen hundred years it didn't mean that for eighteen hundred exactly. and as NT, as yeah, NT Wright beautifully points out it doesn't mean that but so what would it mean to you guys I mean 
I've had to wrestle with that passage because I came out of that belief. Okay. And I had to I had to say, okay, well, if I don't believe that, but I'm still going to I'm still going to you know, read a Bible. Yeah. Well, what am I going to do with that passage? So, do you do you want to tell us a little bit about what you think that means? I actually was looking it up <coughs> because um, it is for me, it's one of the most I I think it's probably the most challenging uh scripture uh when it comes to this idea of the rapture, right? And um it's really the only one almost. Like I it's think it's, so. it's it's the go-to. First yeah, Thessalonians 4:15 through 17. Yeah, it's first First Thessalonians 4 uh yeah. Well, here's the deal though. We normally start with 14, I think. Right. Or maybe 15, because that gets more, or 16, actually. So 16 says, For the Lord himself it's will come down smaller. from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And uh, if you just read that, wow, that really sounds like what he just said was, uh, there's going to be a, and... <laughs> The dead in Christ are going to come out of the graves and float into the sky with their new bodies, apocalypse. and then we're going to be woo. Then we're going to meet up in the air, uh, and that seems to be what he's saying. So, and we can get into some of the other, you know, Revelation and, oh gosh, Daniel, Daniel seventy weeks, or the Olivet Discourse, and all that kind of stuff, right? And it's a, it's kind of a big mess. Um, but this, if we're really just going to talk about the rapture, this is the text. So I started this week, like because I knew we were getting ready to talk about this. I'm like, all right, what about this text? Because, man, to me, if there's a problem text, it's this one. But here's what I noticed, okay, that uh, if you back it up to verse 13, this is how Paul starts the whole conversation. Paul says, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. He's talking about those who have died. And at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians, he mentions, by the way, that he knows that the church in Thessalonica is troubled about the fact that many of their brothers and sisters have been martyred for their faith. They have, but they have died. And they're wondering faith. what's going to, what's yes. going on. Yeah. And they're wondering, where are they now? Right. Are they cursed by God? Uh, or where, what's happened to them? You know, they're gone. We love them. We miss them. They, they were killed. What's happening to them? Where are they? And that's part of why he's writing this letter. So when he gets to this part here, he starts it by saying, now brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant about those of your friends, right? Who have fallen asleep or who have been put to death or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you uh, that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord will come down from heaven. And then he does it. So it's not a conversation about this, this future kind of crazy rapture thing. It's a conversation about where are my friends who died and what's, what's up with them. Okay, so the tension again. Sorry, we, a lot of a lot of what we misunderstand is context and culture. Okay, um, so we were just talking in the car today, driving around. I was like, you know, this whole thing about um, because we're in a certain culture, you, we're, we share a, a similar culture. If I were to say to you guys, you know, when I was growing up as a young man, as a teenager, my house, living in my house, was like Normandy Beach. You would know what I meant was it was a war zone. But two thousand years from now. If somebody just translated these words from English into Habukaduk, whatever language is in 2,000 years, they would say, oh, Keith is saying that his home life was like a vacation at the beach, which is a happy, wonderful thing. Because they don't have a connection to Normandy in World War II, right? It's like that. So there's things going on in the culture that we are usually very unaware of. Um, and so the thing we have to understand is that the church in Thessalonica was made up of people who came out of pagan religions, uh, came out of other, other backgrounds where in their minds... Um, the heavens and the air over literally over their head, what they could see over their head was the domain of the gods yeah, that, or the demons. That was their cosmology, literally, yes. like like almost like a globe. Like yes, exactly. It's up there. That's where they are. And so, what Paul is saying to them, let me just try to Crazy. to uh, <laughs> summarize it for you here in my own in, in the next ten minutes or five minutes, <laughs> if I can. Um, he's basically telling them, "Look, guys, your friends who are dead, they're with Jesus right this second. They're with him right now, and they're okay." And when Jesus does come, and the coming here is AD 70, in judgment. Because again, they're being persecuted right now. And there are people with power over them who are literally killing them and oppressing them and throwing them in jail right now. And those people have power, and those people are over them. And they're on the bottom getting their butts kicked. And their friends are dying. And what, what Paul is reminding them is that 
87, Jesus said he's coming, coming in judgment on those same people who are putting you to death. And when that happens, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be on the top, reigning and ruling, and you're okay, and they're the ones who are going to be on the bottom. And it's this idea that, like, Jesus had this message, right? He warned his own people. He said, love your enemy. Uh, turn the other cheek. Bless those who curse you. Those who live by the sword are going to die by the sword. Put your sword away. And uh, instead of continuing on this path uh, of the Jewish people wanting revolution, they wanted a, a violent Messiah who was going to violently overthrow their oppressors, right? He's saying, stop that. Give up on that. Think differently, right? Repent, metanoia. Love your enemies. Bless them. Do good to them. Because if you, if you do that, that leads to life. But if you keep going in this direction where you want this violent rebellion, you are going to get slaughtered. And he says, some of you standing here, this is what he's saying in, in all of the discourse in Matthew 24. Some of you standing here are going to be alive when it happens. It won't be very much longer if you don't stop, if you don't stop this. And what Paul is saying is, well, it's coming. And this rebellion is going to, is going to lead to this, the coming of Christ in judgment. In this sense, it's really only that what Jesus said was going to happen, that they were going to reap what they've been sowing, that they were going to reap it, okay? It's not, it's not literally, Jesus is not riding on a pony in the clouds, right, coming, woohoo, to bring judgment. That's yeah. not what they meant. We can look into that yeah. a little bit. Jesus didn't lead the Roman armies. No, he didn't, exactly. <laughs> but, but the Roman armies fulfilled the prophecy that he made, right? right? And, it was, and then, by the way, we see this all through uh, the Old Testament. I have, I have some, many examples to read, but when Jesus said things like, uh, like in Olivet Discourse, uh, when he said things like, um, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars are going to fall from the sky and uh, the, the worm will not die and the fire will not be quenched. Um, that, again, this is one of these things where they, the, the Jewish people listening, the disciples listening, when he said those things, they clicked. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Because in their tradition, they could look back at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and Nehemiah and Zephaniah, <clears throat> where God, through the prophets, spoke uh, prophetic words of judgment against Egypt and even against Jerusalem and against uh, all Assyria and Babylon and all these other countries. And, and when God, through those prophets, pronounced judgment on them, guess what he said? The, the, fire will, uh, the, the, the sun will not give its light and the moon, the moon will turn dark or blood and the stars will fall from the sky and uh, you know, the worm will not die and the fire will not... It's all the same language. It's not literal language. Trust me, if you get on a plane and fly to Egypt... That prophecy against Egypt about the smoke rising forever and ever, there's no smoke. It's not rising forever and ever. There are no worms that are eternal worms. Yeah. This was apocalyptic hyperbole. Yeah. And they got that. They knew it's not literal. They knew it's just that the, the judgment is coming against them that Jesus has pronounced. And that's all Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, can I? Yeah, go ahead. You steal a phrase that another person here at this table uses a lot. Can I problematize that a little bit? Sure. Okay. So, so, so let me, like, to problematize this, okay, it's, and I love that explanation, by the way. It's a great explanation. And sometimes... I got it off the internet. Yeah, well, when I, when, I, when I heard that explanation, I'm like, man, that makes so much sense, you know? And, uh, wow, how, how's come I never heard that? And I've been reading Thessalonians for a while. I never mm. heard that. And how is anybody supposed to really understand that? And, you know, but it makes total sense. And, you know, what if... Okay, it makes sense in the context. Yes. So when you factor in context, it's important. But what if Paul, who lived 2,000 years ago, is writing to a group of people who lived 2,000 years ago, who shared context, who shared the same, and they're like, oh yeah, I totally understand what Paul meant. The only reason we're still reading from this letter is because we were told in the, by a fourth century group of select people that we should be reading this book because it's in, the only, it's like part of this in holy and scripture inspired. Yeah. And then, now we're reading a 2,000 year old letter that makes no freaking sense to us. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> makes no sense. And then we, and then we invent little, these I, mythological ideas about some guy riding a horse <laughs> bringing people up into the sky somewhere, you know? And like, yeah. like it makes, it's, re think about this, guys. Let's take a step back and go, this is craziness. Mm -hmm. So why is it? That we're listening to this stuff. Why is it that we're like, because again, that letter, I, this is my personal view. This is where I've come with, with I, I love right. Paul. I love what he's saying. I think there's an, it, there, you can see the hand of God and all this, but guess what? That was for those guys. That ain't for us. Oh. It's not for us. Listen, we can't understand. Listen, be, because the voice, like 
life goes on. People still write. People still speak. We speak our own language. We speak. We come from our own context. We can understand each other when we speak because we're living in the present tense. Why are we looking at a 2,000-year-old text trying to decipher it if it's like yeah. some enigma from World War II or something? Like, right. you know, like some, some secret code language. Thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is ridiculous. Well, and I'll problematize things further. Oh, okay. <laughs> Take another drink, yeah. What if Paul's theology changes from 1 Thessalonians, yes. which is an early letter, yes. to Romans? Yes. None of this shit is in, the, in That's Romans. That's right. Right. And what if, what if Paul was an actual human? <gasps> like us. Like who could, us. Who could make mistakes. Who, I look back at All Set Free, which was my first book, which came out in 2015, and I'm like, eh, I would change that. Uh, I would update yeah. that. A yeah. second edition would look a lot different. What if Paul had the same experience of meeting Christ on the Damascus Road and taking years and years to process yes. what it meant? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what if he's like, oh, this is what it meant. Bup, 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 bup. And, and he writes his on, letters. Yeah. And the later's on, he's like, eh, maybe that's not what it meant. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I've broadened my way of thinking. Maybe things have changed. Maybe I've fleshed this out more. And maybe I've changed. So maybe the problem isn't Paul. Because we see Paul's evolution, which I think is a good thing. We see this is a real human guy who goes through this process, who gets from one theological place to another that I think is a better, more healthy theological place. But what if we're the ones who just fucked it up by by saying, well, Paul said in Thessalonians, therefore everything's got to be That's one right. theology. Right. We do it with the Bible. We say 66 books or 80 books if we're Roman Catholics or 81 if we're Ethiop- <laughs> Ethiopian Coptic. And we say, this is all one theology. No. And when you really look into it, this is where things get muddy. Paul's theology is not one theology. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, no, it's screw you. No, I, I, and I, and I, love, I love that you're saying that, Matt, because like I, I posted something the other day about that, and this actually came out of, I think, our conversation with Peter Enns, which we haven't p- posted this yet, but when we interviewed him, we, this came up. The whole thing about like, hey, you know, is, was Paul just a normal guy like the rest of us? Could he get... Could he make mistakes? Right. Could he say something and be wrong about it? Or like you said, could he write something today and then three years after that go, you know, I think I understand this better and say something different? Because we act as if, no heresy there, we act as if um, that, that, yeah, everything is baked, fully baked. Paul completely had it all figured out on day one. The minute Damascus Road happened, boom, boom. he's got it figured he had, out. He had, a, he had a direct download yeah. of everything and he knew it all right there. Yeah, and, instead of seeing, I mean, again, we talked about this in the previous, um, in the previous podcast with Bart Ehrman. That um, that what I think we see consistently, the pattern we see consistently in Scripture, going all the way back to Jesus with his disciples, was a progression of understanding, right? right? I'm going to be crucified, and the third day I'm going to rise again. Uh, which of us is the greatest? Like, did you hear what I said? I'm going to die. And, like, and, then, and then when he's, when he's crucified, they're like, oh my gosh, I think they're going to crucify him. Hello? Like, they, 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 what we see is a pattern in Scripture of the disciples um, progressively understanding things that should have been obvious from the beginning. Like even with Peter, you know, he has this big epiphany long after Jesus is, is gone, long after um, the, uh, you know, Acts chapter 2 and the, um, the Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit comes down. Uh, and then he still needs this vision of this unclean, you know, food to come down three times for God to say, for him to get it. Oh, the gospel is for the... He still the wrestles and wrestles and wrestles yes. with this, like this circumcision Jewish rite. Yeah. And he goes back and forth. Like Peter is like, yeah, it's on a and then he goes back and he's and he and he's not sitting at a kosher table. Right. And it's like he's, yeah. it's like James the same way. Like yes. they just They were didn't people get like it. us. They, they had to wrestle. Yes. It's okay that they didn't get it. And Mark's gospel really portrayed like they did not get it. Yeah. And it takes a while. Jesus is a very unexpected Messiah. Mm-hmm. And this this nonsense that people like Mark Driscoll and Mike Bickle are saying that Jesus is going to come back and literally, and I quote this in my next book, literally kill millions of people. That's right. Right. That's right. Fuck that. Thank like, you. Seriously, Thank that you. has done, an, and people will be more mad that I said fuck. That's right. But that has done more damage in the world. You've got Ann Coulter saying her... Her exegesis of Genesis 1 is God said, take it, rape it, it's yours. Are you serious? Yeah. That is nonsense. Yeah. That is not, and it's it's been around for only almost 200 years, and that is long enough. Yeah, like, that, that's yeah. long and enough. And I think if you're looking to, for an escape route, if you're looking to get out of here, 
then why would you care about what's here and now? Well, that's exactly, exactly. right. Why it's would an you care? This mentality exactly. of like, why bother? It's yeah. all going to burn. It's yeah, you're not going to anyway. You're not going to care about the here and now. You're certainly not going to pay attention to people. You're certainly not going to love. You're not going to. You're not going to value relationships. You're not going to value yep. the life that you're living in the present context. Just Lord Jesus, come back. Yeah, yeah. you're just looking to get out. You're looking for, you know, and you actually want the world to kind of go to hell because yeah, you, you want there to be earthquakes yeah. you want there to be wars yeah. right because when you see those kind of oh there's a war going on yeah. here and then there's an earthquake going on thousands of people died here and there's you know all these things you're thinking if you're a futurist uh, if you're thinking like a like someone like a dispensationalist and that's your view of oh good these things have to happen so jesus can come back like that's a twisted way for someone who follows the prince of peace right. to think right yeah well and can i just say one last thing when we're talking about the book of Revelation, there should be a whole subversive passage in there, and there is in, in, in chapter 5. Jesus is a slain lamb. That's yes. how we interpret that book. If we want to even have the book of Revelation, which a lot of theologians have said, we need to toss this book out. Yeah. Throughout I, I history. We should do that. Yeah. Get but <laughs> I will say that that book, I like that book, actually, and because it's this whole subversive notion— Jesus might rule like a lion, but he does so like a slain lamb. And if we're going to interpret that, Jesus is not coming back to kill people yeah, because right. his blood on his robe is his own it's blood. His own blood. Yeah. It's no one else's. And I, I have a, this is a suggestion for the listeners out here, you know, that are listening. And if you want to improve your life, the quality of your life, put the book of Revelation down. Stop reading it. It's you not helping you. It's not that. helping you. For, for God's sake, it's not helping you. It's never helped you. It's not helping people. Yeah. So put it down, forget about it, and start paying attention to the present tense. Pay attention to your life that you have right now. Pay attention to the people that, you, that are in your life right now. Pay attention to, to the experience of now and feel the presence of God within you, within other people and start living your life. And I promise you, this your quality of life will just dramatically increase. Don't let this stuff play on your emotions, your anxiety, your fears. Um, I know that sounds, I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but um, trust me, you'll be more biblical if you live that way. So, um, but anyway, <laughs> I we're- I never we, thought I'd hear Jamal say, more biblical. biblical. <laughs> but we, you'll live more like Jesus did. That's right. Trust me, because he was very present. So, yeah. uh, but we are- we are, we're a little over, yeah. We're a little over, over our time limit, but um, uh, I think that... Well, uh, yeah, this has been great. And we have a Q&A coming up as well. So yeah. you guys, I'm sure, probably have lots of questions. We didn't get into a lot of the scriptural ins and outs and yeah. stuff. So if you guys want to dig into that, we totally can do that. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I think... I don't know if you guys want to weigh in real quick. Like, you, you already said what you thought. Like, I, I don't think... Like, I'm not waiting for Jesus to return. Uh, I'm not... I mean, if he comes back, great. But I'm not waiting for that. Uh, and I And I've... I've just kind of myself turn the corner to believe like things like that the new Jerusalem is us. Like if you read Revelation, it says, you know, he's, uh, he, the, the angel takes John and he says, let me show you the bride of Christ. Who are, who's the bride of Christ? That's us. And then metaphorically, it's a city that comes from heaven, but it lands on the earth, right? And everything that, that's being said about this new Jerusalem is just a fulfillment of the new covenant, Right, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And, I, and like we were saying, God will make His home with them. That's the whole point of the new covenant. Well, that's the reality we should be living in right now. So, like the new heaven and the new earth, you're in it. This is this new creation for the last two thousand years that God has been doing in the world, from twelve people to now over two billion people who are indwelled, hopefully, supposedly. Uh, that's the plan with the, the with the Spirit of Christ, right? <laughs> That's not heresy. That's 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 the gospel, and and we are the second coming of Christ. And that so again, I'm not waiting for him to return. I think he's you mean here. Me, by we? Do you include me in that? Yes, of course. I am the second coming you? of Christ. Yes, you are, and I am too. That's what we're intended to be. Wow, major eye roll. I agree. <laughs> All right, You're killing me, Smalls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, anyway, I think I think that's going to do it for this episode. We, we need Jamal to play. Um, where's Barrett? Barrett's going to play us out? Or? You're supposed to be queued up, man, ready to go. Well, like, he's got to get my mic. That's right. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this, and we do hope we'll have a little bit of a break, and then we're going to do a, we'll do a Q&A. Barrett has a new album coming out soon. Make sure you grab that. It's going to be really good.
Barrett Johnson? Maybe a little while. We'll see. Make him wait. Yeah, make him wait for it. Since we were young, I never left your side All my favorite moments, the warmest summer nights Go sneaking out, swimming after dark Sit and talk for hours and lay under the stars Looking up, I only had one wish and it was I wished for you just you all the way give give me your heart give give me your heart unguarded that's it <clears throat> we head downtown where all the people are Laughing while you're sitting on my handlebars A simple girl is what some people see But to me your face is nothing less than poetry Looking up, I only had one wish And it was, I wish for you Just you all the way Give, give me your heart Give me your heart unguarded, that's it All the way, loved you from the start Cause you all I've ever wanted So say yes, say yes to me Because I'm, I'm down on my knees I'm asking, say yes, say yes to me I love the way you look But your beauty is beneath your skin And I can wait as long as it takes, darling Until you invite me in Let me in all the way Give, give me your heart Give, give me your heart unguarded that's it all the way loved you from the start cause you all I've ever wanted all the way give give me your heart give give me your heart give give me your heart all the way loved you from the start loved you from start of love you from the start so say yes say yes to me because i'm i'm down on my knees i'm asking say yes say yes to me